Bills, and welcome to Popper's Cage, episode 20. This is the big 2-0 for us, so I'm very happy that we've made it this far. My name is Dime Collector. I'm going to be your host today, and we have a very special episode, and we've got two guests on today's episode. So I'd like to start by introducing one of the guests. Actually, both of them have been on the show before, so this is great to have them both back here. Firstly, from Popper to the People, we've got Chris Plummer. How's it going? It's going really well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us once again to do another episode here. And it's definitely an honor to have you on board. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Super formal today. So we've also got another (laughs) great guest from episodes eight and nine. We've got the Affinity Superstar back to terrorize MTGO. It's special Kyle. Say hello. Hello. Is it an honor to have me on too? It certainly is. <laughs> Just making sure. So. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we should mention that Special Kyle is going to be here just for a limited part of the episode. He's got some scheduled conflicts. He's got to take care of business. So we're going to try and get underway with this episode right now. And we're going to be talking about the January 28th bannings in Popper of the cards Empty the Warrens, Grape Shot, and Invigorate. This is huge news. It's one of the biggest things to happen to Popper, probably ever, certainly in recent memory. So we're going to just have sort of an open discussion here about the bands. And since Kyle is on a limited schedule, we're going to go ahead and just start with you and get some of your general thoughts on the bands, how you feel about them, and what you think this means for the Popper format. So why don't you go ahead and take it away? Okay, so I think just general oversight, I think the bands are going to be good for Popper. I think that Popper was getting to the point where you were either playing a deck that could win on turns two or three, or you're playing a deck that was just aimed at hindering those strategies and trying to play for the late game. And it really took away a lot of the aggro decks and just decks that are kind of looking to get a foothold early, but then make it to the mid game. And the format was getting really stagnant, especially with just uh, Storm in general was everywhere and was winning more tournaments than it, than any deck probably should. I don't, I don't know what you guys think on how much the format was geared towards those, at least Storm, that deck. Why don't you go ahead and start, Chris, and maybe just chip in here. Do you feel like Storm was, I guess we should say, worthy of being banned, at least in this capacity, because both of the win conditions, Empty the Warrens and Grapeshot, were knocked out with this ban here. Yeah, I think that's what was was really surprising to me, is that both of the win conditions got the hit. Um, and I'll, I'll go into my um, my general thoughts on it once, once we're through with Kyle. I agree that I think the one thing I could mention is that the only times when I've ever lost to an opponent that I felt that that didn't seem very fair. I, I didn't really have a chance to do anything. Ninety um, percent of the time, that was Storm, the, the the Goblins Empty the Warren combo. So I, I can I can kind of agree that it's not only was it just really tough to beat, it was also just really demoralizing, and a lot of times you felt like you didn't even really get it to play. Yeah, I definitely I agree, agree with that. With that. For me, I'll just say that I don't think I realized as much 
while Storm was in the metagame as I do now, how prevalent it really was and how many, you know, I have so much video content and written content out on the internet. How much of that was monopolized by Storm and how much time I actually spent sitting there and watching them combo off on me. And now in retrospect, <laughs> I can definitely say that it, it did occupy a ton of the popper metagame. And so it's a bit of mixed feelings, I think. And I think it's going to take a while for people to really digest what the implications of this ban is. We're a couple weeks into it already, but only a few days into the actual, I guess, administration of it on Magic Online. So we've only had a few daily events to really experience a non-storm environment. So, uh, yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings. Hopefully we'll get to kind of delve into that a little more. So let's go ahead and get back to, to you, Kyle. Obviously, Storm was took the big hit here, but Infect as well lost its most powerful pump spell. How important do you think that is going to be to the format? And going forward, what do you expect the metagame really to look like? So with the banning of Inv Invigorate, which was the card that enabled pretty much every turn to kill that Infect ever had, ever had, it definitely brought the power level down probably below Tier 1. But I think they did a, a really good job on this ban, and that... People are still playing Infects in dailies. They can still be legitimate decks, but you you don't have those random games where your seven cards just happen to be a one-cut casting the Glistener Elf and then, you know, three, four pump spells that kill, kill your opponent on turn two. And so it brought the deck down to a manageable level that people can still play it, but you can play against it and not feel unfairly beaten when it does happen. I, I think they did a really good job of picking the, the card that brought the deck down to a more fair fair level. And then what, one thing that Chris touched on, that they banned both of the win conditions of Storm. And that was really surprising because as far as Empty the Warrens go, yes, it was a very powerful game state when, you know, turn two, you could just have all of a sudden 20-plus goblins on board. Sometimes, sometimes hasted, but I feel that most decks in the format had a one or two casting cost card that could deal with a lot of goblins. So I was surprised that they banned that, just because if you take away Grape Shot, which you can't really interact with unless it's something like Prize Unicorn or whatever the white deck was playing or Prismatic Strands. Besides that, you you just couldn't interact with Grape Shot in any way. And so I was very surprised that they got rid of empty the warrens at the same time when most people could potentially beat and empty the warrens even as early as turn two. Chris, I've heard a ton of comments on the Infect deck on your podcast and particularly the card mm -hmm. Invigorate. So what are your thoughts in terms of the banning of Invigorate and how do you think that's going to affect the format? I had some looking into the dailies, and Infect is, is still a deck. Um, a lot of people are kind of trying different things. For instance, um, some of them are trying to throw in Bone Splitters. A couple of people are trying Hunger of the Howl Pack. Um, just different things. But Invigorate, I think Invigorate, in addition to it you know, being such such a potent kill spell, is that um, the, the point of the card when it was originally printed was, yes, it makes your creature ridiculously huge, but it also kind of gives your opponent a life advantage. And since the Infect deck is going for Infect damage as opposed to life advantage, it, it basically nullified the entire downside of playing that card. I can see why they felt that one needed to get the boot. Infect can still get its its really quick 
kills. You know, with if you've got to keep the right hand mulligan properly, play your play your pump spells in the right order. But they actually have to, to work for it now. And this card where it's like I look at this, I look at Invigorate, and I see there's no downside to that. A thing that was built into it to make it a choice to have to play it or not was effectively just removed when you were putting it on an infect creature. So I, I fully agree with, with the banning of that card. Yeah, I, I definitely do as well. And I think infect actually has a very interesting spot in the metagame as a whole because a lot of people are just going to write this deck off. And the assumption with these bannings is that Cloudpost is just going to swoop in in the metagame and be the absolute undisputed best deck. But if you're an Infect player and you te- and you decide to continue playing Infect, that means you've still got a ton of prey just waiting to be poisoned out. And yes, your deck's a little bit slower now, but I don't think the Cloudpost matchup could be that much worse. It should be a little bit worse, but I still feel like the Infect deck should be favored in that matchup. So if the metagame does go in that direction, Infect could still be an equalizer and a way to balance it out. Well, I was going to say we're also we're also right at the stage where we've we've had only a handful of daily events since these bangs have taken place. So people are still unsure of what to expect in the metagame. The Cloudpost players are still going to be playing Cloudpost. Um, the Infect players they haven't. The ones that haven't ditched the decks are trying new things. So it's it's a very volatile metagame right now, and I think that it, it is going to take uh, probably a, a couple of months before everything fully smooths out and we find the new version of the Infect deck that becomes the standard, and we see if CloudPost has to make any changes because of the new sideboard spots that were opened up that you had to put in for things like Storm. So it's going to be volatile for the next couple of months. All right, so Kyle... While we have you here, why don't you talk a little bit about what you see happening in the metagame? Do you see any new decks coming in? Do you see any lower-tier decks rising, any of the higher-tier decks falling, that kind of thing? Uh, Just your general thoughts on where the metagame is going to be headed. Well, as Chris just mentioned, with decks needing to change, decks that used to have you know, maybe six or more cards dedicated only to the Storm matchup just because Storm was the bad guy on the block, I think we're going to see a lot more interaction between between aggro and control after sideboard now because aggro doesn't have to worry about storm and neither does uh, control. So you're you're going to be having these two sides aiming more for each other now, which I think is will be a good thing because it'll reward people more for how they're going to come prepared for different matchups and not just you know the main deck transforming into how do I beat storm type deck you know across the format. As far as new decks coming to light, I think there's not going to be some deck out of, out of left field, I don't think, but there will be decks that weren't necessarily playable simply because they couldn't beat, beat Storm on their on their best day. I could definitely see a deck like Goblins making a resurgence just because they're, they're a decent aggro deck and then they have some uh, two-for-one cards and, and like Death Spark and the... The, get the goblin that makes another one one way comes into play. And so that's going to be better against aggro, I think. And so decks like that where they no longer have to worry about uh, just losing right away in their creature-based deck, but they can also get a little incremental advantage. I, I can see them making a big resurgence. Chris, do you have any thoughts on the metagame or what decks will be well-positioned? Well, um... Lately, I've I've been the mono green stompy player, and so for me, that's pretty much just stay the course. And um, yeah, you know, kind of revisit my sideboard 
uh, a little bit, take a look at what I can optimize, uh, what numbers I can I can tweak a little bit. But for the most part, I, I'm still going to be with with Stompy, just doing what I always do, putting creatures into play and turning them sideways. That sounds very good. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I have a question for you, Chris. So sure. I, I myself, as an offense player, when I hear everyone saying that Cloud Post is going to be the new deck to beat, Affinity itself as an aggro deck has a, has a pretty decent matchup against Cloudpost. So as a, another aggro deck that people are going to consider the underdog, what are your thoughts on uh, Stompy versus Cloudpost? Is that still a deck that you can beat and you know maybe people's opinions of the post aren't as good as they think it is? Stompy versus Post is is that really classic, like you were talking about, the aggro versus the control matchup. And all it, all it really comes down to is I've just got to, I've got to flood with creatures because he's going to have... Um, the flame slashes and and electricery now especially all i can hope to do is is just race him before that crucial turn where he's just got that mana mana to burn and just starts out ramping me and get stuff down I, I mean that's one of those matchups where if things don't go right by turn 4 turn 5 i'll just end up conceding because it's all downhill from there now now when i hear that it makes me think that maybe a card like wild mongrel might be a little better now because when your whole goal in the matchup is just to keep creatures on board early. Something like Wild Mongrel can turn your lands and maybe a, a pump spell that, if it's not going to have targets, it's not going to matter anyway, it can trade those for some of their removal and still stay on board dealing some damage to them. Yeah, I'm think, I've been thinking about putting the Wild Mongrels back in. He had, he had gotten removed um, to put in Wandering Wolf, and that kind yeah. of, with stuff like Electricery, it, it's not really as big of a deal, but I think that putting the Wild Mongrel back in, that's definitely a a change that warrants some further testing. Yeah, as far as Stompy goes, from what I've heard is, it is one of the aggro decks that has some game against Post and might even be a favorable matchup. We're definitely seeing a lot, a lot of Stompy appearing in the daily events and cashing out. And they have a lot of tools that make the Post deck have some difficulty. We've got Young Wolf providing some card advantage, Rancors providing some card advantage, and even a Silhana Ledgewalker needs just the right answer to be able to deal with it. So I think Stompy is definitely one of the well-positioned decks right now. And you mentioned Wild Mongrel. I think maybe even a card like Safehold Elite, just having another guy that requires two removal spells might be a, a good choice in this metagame. Probably not too bad in the mirror match either. Absolutely. Absolutely, and to bring up to bring up Affinity since it's since it's Kyle's deck of choice, um, Affinity is one of those decks where it seems like when I first started playing uh, Popper about two years ago, uh, it was the first deck I ever I ever digitally sleeved up and played, and then it seemed like it it kind of fell out of favor. It wasn't any less potent. It's just people stopped playing it for some reason, but Affinity always is always a threat and it can always come out of nowhere and, and really just, you know, take down an entire daily event. So, you know, an explosive deck that, that if you're looking for something new to play that a lot of people might not see coming, it's never a bad choice. No, I, I would agree. I also, I don't know why more people don't play it. I've actually been playing a bit of affinity and by the time this comes out, I should have another article on MTGO Academy featuring the deck. So, I've been enjoying it, experimenting with variations of the build, and I've uh, been pretty happy with it so far as well. All right, so, I mean, I don't have a specific topic to go from here. We did mention, we have mentioned a lot about how sideboards are going to change, but we haven't really talked specifically about what type of changes 
people should be making at this point. Kyle, did you have any uh, ideas about you know how your affinity sideboard might change or how a number of these decks that are going to be taking out things like you know conditional sweepers like Sandstorm and Holy Light, maybe Echoing Truth, Echoing Decays will probably probably be less popular in the metagame. What kind of cards should supplement those empty slots? So one thing that I've already that I've formed a strong opinion on already is that if you, you're a deck playing black, that you're going to want to be playing edicts now. In this metagame, you're seeing uh, you know post decks that, that are going to be tapping out for Ormog's Crusher, the the enchantment deck, the deck that just aims to make a Boggle or some other hexproof guy super big. There's a lot of decks that are kind of going all in on just one or two creatures, and so I, I think that Missing Blood and Diabolic Edict are going to be a good choice if, if you can fit them into either your main deck or sideboard. Chris, do you have any thoughts on how the Stompy or Mono Black sideboard might change from here? Yeah, well, regarding Stompy, um, right away Sandstorm is probably going to get the boot. And I've been I've been thinking about doing some stuff. Uh, for instance, um, I see that some people are doing Viridian Longbow, throwing a couple of those in. That might be kind of interesting. Um, but I've, I've also been thinking about maybe trying to add in some Thermokarst uh, and just see how that does. Because one of the easiest ways to disrupt post early is to keep them off of, if they're drawing their, their mountains, keep them off their islands. If they're drawing their islands, keep them off of their mountains, that type of thing. And just maybe see how that would help make my matchup even better and it has the added advantage against other some of those other um, blue fairy or blue delver decks that only run 14 or 15 lands where a little bit of land destruction can really just ruin their entire game and and mono black it's the same thing more obviously more edict effects and you know hopefully the 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 metagame with these banning slows down a turn uh, maybe even two with a with a bad hand on your opponent's side that i can really start to exploit the card advantage you can get from a mono black deck and, and just really exploit the fact that they're having to discard everything. Yeah, I, I was actually really curious to figure out or try and figure out how well positioned mono black is right now. I, I actually was listening back to the previous episode you were on, Chris, talking about mono black control, but I, I can't really figure it out yet. So I, it's something where I'm just going to have to sleeve it up and see how it does, I think, at this point. Exactly. There's occasionally you see people um, running uh, the the Travis Wu Stinkweed Imps deck that that comes up in the dailies, but as far as the straight up control control build, there is there is a lot that's changed with these bannings. And I I mean you were you were a dead meat to infect with that with that mono black deck um, because you couldn't you couldn't make them discard stuff quick enough that they would still get that Glistener alt down. And they would still have enough pump available, even if you could get them to discard a couple of things, that you were still pretty much toast anyways. So um, if if Infect ends up having to slow down a turn because of these things, that might help with that to where you add in a few more, um, maybe a couple more rats or, or something into the mix where you can start creating a buffer zone. It, it does have some merit, but but you're right. It's, it's a lot of speculation that's really just going to require actually throwing it into the dailies and seeing how it does at this point. Yeah. yeah, I actually had um I had like an overarching uh, kind of like an overall thought that I I wanted to bring up. I wanted to make sure Kyle got to say what he wanted to say first though. Let's hear it. All right, cool. So, again, looking back to when I started playing Popper, uh there was always a lot of talk from the community about how, you know, Popper's Popper's a real format. You know, Wizards needs to know it's a real format. The other players need to know that it's it's a a real format. It's worthy of looking into. It's worthy of you know, wizards taking a closer look at it. 
And so we've got that now. Um, Popper players have long asked Wizards to regard Popper as a legitimate format. Now that they have, there's some baggage that comes with it. And things like these bannings are one of those items. I mean, Modern has, we, we've seen from Modern the, the amount of bannings that they're willing to do to make it a fair and fun format. And since obviously uh, Wizards values Popper as a format itself, I think that this is just one of the growing pains that we're now going to have to start experiencing ourselves. I think that's a really good point. And one of the big aspects of this banning is that there's been a lot of speculation from the community as to why the bannings took place. And I think a lot of people have different theories or, or versions on it. But at least from my perspective, it seems to be very similar to what they're doing with the modern bannings in the sense that they really didn't want modern to be a turn to kill you format. They wanted it to be a turn four format or slower. And the through line that I can see with the with the basic nerfing of the storm decks and the neutering of Infect's strongest card is that they're really just slowing down the format by doing this and they're making the, the format a little more interactive and making it less possible for you to just die before the game really even begins. That's kind of what I am interpreting from these bands. The problem is they didn't really give us a whole big uh, explanation at all. You know, when this band coincided with the modern one, they they wrote uh, three or so paragraphs as to why the modern cards were taken out, but pretty much nothing on Popper, which I thought was kind of funny actually, because they banned more Popper cards than they did modern cards in that in that uh, report. So, Kyle, what do you think about the slowing down of the format? Do you think that was the intention with these bans? Do you think they're actually trying to change the the dynamic of the format in terms of viable decks, or is it something else altogether? It's it's at least their secondary goal to slow down slow down the. Format. I mean, you can't really take the bannings any other way, and, but that they're trying to take away the cards that just led to some pretty degenerate games. But as far <laughs> yeah. as what motivated them to do this, I would really hope that it is someone who's at Wizards, familiar with the format, and was actually trying to do that. And, and it wasn't just to please the, I'm sure, plenty of complaints that they would hear through the grapevine of players not being happy about losing quickly for whatever reason. Because if, if you play format a little, you, you'll know that most of the complaining was simply from I lost too quick and I never had a chance. And sometimes, you know, they did have that turn to win that there was nothing they could do about. But then also maybe the people just weren't playing cards that could have interacted with, with the deck they were losing to. So I hope going forward, forward that there is someone really knowledgeable or a group of people really knowledgeable helping to make these decisions, and it isn't just feedback from the community. Because, especially in Popper, I mean, it's a cheap format. There's plenty of people playing, plenty of people with different skill levels. And so you're going to get a lot of complaints of various reasons from all those skill levels. So you need to be able to sort through them and determine what is what are the problem cards in the format. All right, Chris, did you have anything to add in terms of what Wizards' intentions may have been with the bands? And do you think they succeeded, ultimately, with the, the card choices they actually chose to get rid of? Yeah, I think I think they succeeded, and um, I I also I'm not trying to be a dooms doomsday prophet here or anything, but I don't think they're done. I think that there's more to look at. It's going to be an ongoing state of flux where okay, we did this to make the metagame better. Now something else that's really degenerate uh, comes along too. We're going to have to take a closer look at that as well. 
So, Kyle, why don't you go ahead and say any final things that you wanted to talk about or absolutely anything at all? One of the decks that did have a lot of game against Storm was Mono White. And that's because it, it had cards like Cry's Unicorn, it had Prismatic Strands, it had Holy Light. It, it could, you know, after sideboard, have 12 cards in there that could all, all beat Storm. But now that it doesn't have to, I think that Mono White will... I mean, it's still a decent aggro deck, but I think that's going to be the deck that we see the biggest transformation from because it no longer has to cater to such a strict game game plan. You know, it, it's going to be able to probably lower the amount of mana it plays because it doesn't have to hit three, man, three mana on turn three. And then it's going to be able to interact a lot more with other decks now. So I think we will see a, a really big change out of that and I'll be interested in the, in seeing what versions are like a month or two down the road. Well, that's definitely great to hear, and we did get to talk about that earlier on. I guess as the resident white weenie master, I should at least say a few words about the deck and you know how the band's impacted and where it's going from here. I actually personally, I remember when I, I built white weenie, I picked up the benevolent unicorns. I think there were about a ticket each, and... The day I heard the bands, I actually sold them off for maybe around three tickets, a little under three tickets, because um, I knew from a financial point of view they were going to drop off. But also just from a metagame perspective, the Benevolent Unicorn was essentially a way to protect the White Weenie deck against Grapeshot. That was the biggest benefit that that card had. I guess it had some peripheral advantages, too, against other cards in the format, but nothing as game-changing as against the, the Storm deck. So that's a card that I can certainly see being completely phased out of Popper. Now, whether that turns out to be the case or not is yet to be seen, but at least for now, I don't see a, a whole huge incentive to playing that card uh, it'll be really interesting to see what kind of a white weenie build pops up. We have seen a couple that have placed in the daily events. And I'm always really critical of white weenie lists when I see them. So I always have some sort of criticism to make. But what I think right now is that there's not a defined identity for the deck. I think people are trying out a lot of different things. And so maybe that's just something that's going to have to develop. But I will definitely be very interested in seeing where the deck goes from here. I guess one thing we can we can transition into right now is just talking about what some of the main decks are, the ones that have really been appearing in the daily events in a high volume. And I think for me, the, the top three that I've been seeing in these daily event results, certainly, as was predicted, we are seeing a lot of cloud posts. And it's, it's split between several different, uh, I guess, iterations of the deck. You have the, the more traditional, is it, blue-red post, but we're also seeing some blue-black posts creeping up in here, and that's a very interesting take on the deck because it does have access to these edict effects, which Kyle brought up. Now, there's a couple other variations of posts that are showing up, and a high number of them, be they mono-blue or blue-green even, are playing Temporal Fisher, and you know, we're talking so much about Storm. The the real elephant in the room, I think, is the card Temporal Fisher because now it is the go-to Storm card that's really going to be able to essentially win a game on its own. And this is a card I'm very afraid of because I don't want to play against it. 
I, I find it very annoying to play against. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's going to definitely show up in numbers, at least for a while. We're going to have a lot of Storm players trying to figure out what they want to play from here, if they even want to continue playing in the format. And that might be the default thing that they go to. Chris, do you have any thoughts on, on these new cloud post decks showing up? Or do you think that uh, there might be one variation that will dominate over time? Or is it really kind of just a crapshoot at this point? Uh, I mean, it's it's a crapshoot at this, at this point, I feel. Obviously, the, the blue-red is still going to be the most prevalent one. But the blue-black one, the, the advantage that it has um, above and beyond being able to uh, flashback um, mystical teachings because it's got the black in it is that that's always been a real uh, Swiss Army knife type of deck. You have just a, a swath of one or two of type of cards that can do a variety of different things, and so that's the type of deck where in in a meta game that's in flux, uh, you can you can have a bunch of broad different answers for for a bunch of broad different things. And once the game does kind of solidify into something that we're all more familiar with, they can make those hard changes where you're not having to start making decisions between do I run three or four of, of these types of cards or, or what do I cut here or what do I cut there? And you just start saying, well, this one copy that I could Mystical Teachings was for this deck, which I don't see very often anymore. So we'll just take that card out and we'll put in this type of thing. You know, Maybe we'll start seeing some more edict effects in that type of deck as well. And and I think that that's the one that might be worth looking out for once start things start to settle down a little bit. Chris is absolutely right in that the the advantage that blue black has going for it and that it has the mystical teachings which can get can get whatever answer you need for that specific situation. Hopefully the answer is good enough, but most of the time, I'd say if you're if you are uh, flashing out mystical teachings, you're in the driver's seat of the game. the The only contrast I put to that is that teachings itself being a four and a six casting cost card, the you're go, you're getting started a little later than you are in blue red, where you have the turn one flame slash and turn one lightning bolt, um, whatever. Personally, I think that blue black still has the advantage, but you know they both they both have their selling points. So I I can tell you one way or the other what's going to be uh, good once everything gets settled down. Yeah, I initially was definitely looking at blue black. I think the deck has a lot of promise, uh, particularly the card Innocent Blood. I think is very good right now because it's a cheap one casting cost edict that can help you stabilize against aggressive decks, but also will help you against the Hexproof decks, against the Silhana Ledgewalkers, and various other tough-to-target creatures, maybe even creatures that are just too big, uh, such as Affinity creatures. So uh, that's definitely one of the cards that's been showing up in a high number. And another thing I've seen in a few decks lately has been Hindering Touch, which is the, the other Storm card that kind of survives the bands. But this one is a little bit narrower because it's basically an anti-temporal Fisher card. And I think those are going to be the two uh, cards that we see a little bit more going into the future. And as far as the, the Cloud Post decks playing Temporal Fisher themselves, that to me is just a nightmare because <laughs> Cloud Post is already a deck that's very oppressive. Not I'm not saying in terms of the metagame, just in a game itself, when you fall behind against Cloud Post, they, they're, they're late game, the nature of the deck it's very oppressive and overwhelming and sort of unbeatable. And I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It feels very good when you're playing the Cloud Post deck. 
But uh, for them to also have temporal fissure and have a way to completely nullify all the tempo that you have built up in the early turns is as game-breaking as a Rolling Thunder for 20. It is literally you are just as dead because if you're that far behind, multiple turns behind Cloudpost, who's already developed a ton of mana and is going into the late game, you are finished. So uh, that's going to be very interesting to see how that pans out and how people counter it. Like I said, I mentioned Hindering Touch being a very conditional four-mana, you know, blue-only answer to that card. A lot of the other decks, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, might have to resort to land destruction or some other avenue to try and combat that. It's, It's kind of a scary thought, and I'm not sure how viable those decks are, but they're definitely putting putting in some numbers at the moment. So I, I think that that aspect of the metagame is going to be very interesting. We're also seeing a lot of mono blue Delver fairies variants showing up, um, which is a deck we're no stranger to. Obviously already a, a, you know, a tier one strategy here, and it's still very good and still putting up a lot of great numbers. And, and what I've seen is I think that it's it's a metagame that's inhabited by a lot of Post, a lot of Delver, and a lot of Stompy at the moment. And the other decks are really trying to vie for positioning. And I think people, like I said, are just trying to find their identity right now and, and really find what they think is going to work. Um, so that's kind of my take on what the metagame is looking like right now. Uh, Chris, did you have any other decks, maybe anything upcoming or any strategies that you think might be interesting to try at the moment? Uh, the Boggle deck. Orinar Lid, Glade Cover Scout, Silhana Ledgewalker, Slippery Boggle. And then the old um, Ancestral Mask, Armadillo Cloak, Ethereal Armor combo. And it gets it gets back to what you were saying earlier about the importance of edicts in this metagame because this is a deck that makes makes its appearances here or there, but it it has the potential to really kind of blow up and and take the metagame by storm, especially in a little bit of a vacuum that is being created right now with the recent bannings. Um, just to have all these creatures that are either hexproof or in the case of Orinarlid that just gets massive on the backs of all these other enchantments, and it can just really very quickly and with with much difficulty on your opponent's behalf just kind of run run people over so that's that's one that i've kind of been keeping my eye on to see where it goes from here yeah i definitely agree with that i feel like it's one of the breakout decks at least in the past month or two and we've seen variations of this deck show up in multiple formats including modern and standard Kyle, have you experienced this deck lately, or do you have any thoughts on on these lists that have been showing up? I have experienced in that there has been plenty of people playing it recently. One thing that kind of it, it surprised me was that one of my the my main deck cards in, in Affinity is I've been running two Clark Clan Shaman for a while, which it's a guy that stacks an artifact to deal one to everything, and it's good because against Stompy and Goblins, it it's a, a very good card, but then you won it main deck because against Storm, you could just win game one when you normally shouldn't have. And I was surprised that I th- I thought this card would be getting moved to sideboard, but it turns out that with this Boggle Sect making, uh, you know, a big appearance, is that this is, I think, a pretty rare answer to, to all their Hexproof guys in that just turn one if you have a Clark Clan Shaman, their game plan significantly slowed down, and it can let you build up time that a lot of decks won't be able to do. And I could see that happening also with Prismatic Strands in that it 
it gets around their hex proof and prevents them from just doing what they doing what they want without much interaction. Yeah, I love prismatic strands against their deck because basically what ends up happening in my experience is that the the white winning player will develop their board and the stompy player or not the stompy player, the hexproof player will be developing essentially their Voltron guy. Yep. And so that's usually a race that White Weenie is not doing too well in, especially if they've got the Armadillo Cloak, or I think some of them even play Lifelink in their deck. So they have some way of altering the race by these huge life point swings, swinging with you know a double-digit power and toughness guy and gaining that life can be pretty problematic. But when you have Prismatic Strands, which is essentially it's uh, a fog and then it's a free fog after that, so you negate two of their attack steps while beating them down, It it's a complete blowout. And I think that's uh, definitely one of the ways you can combat the Hexproof deck. But I think what's more important in the overall sense is that a lot of decks are really, in similar to Storm in a sense... Obviously, Hexproof is not as prevalent as Storm was, but a lot of them have to have some sort of contingency against this strategy because it, it is a strategy that is so lethal that it will just take a match from you out of nowhere if you if you don't have anything for it. And I think it's becoming very dynamic because while there are curfew excuse me while there are curfews and hexproofs in the for, not hexproofs edicts in the format, the the hexproof players are are counteracting that with their own sort of tools, things like Vitality Charm, which is a card that is so obscure that I don't think any... I'm sure none of us knew what it was. Um, so maybe I should briefly say what it is. It's a it's an instant for green. It has several modes, but I think the one that's the most effective is that it puts a 1-1, I don't know, plant or sapperling onto the battlefield. So it's a way for them to, at instant speed, essentially counter the Edict spell. And some of these Hexproof decks are also playing Colony Garden, which is a World Wake land, comes into play tapped, and puts a 0-1 plant token onto the battlefield. And that is only uh, to negate edict effects and curfews. I mean, I guess in a rare pinch you could start putting auras on it, but I don't (laughs) think that's exactly what they want to be doing. Uh, So I think it's really, really interesting to see how Hexproof can come into a format like this and warp certain aspects of it and make people have to respect the deck or at least try and dodge it, I guess, would be the alternative. But that's, you know, that's not a foolproof way of getting through a daily event. So uh, the Hexproof deck continuing to be the breakout deck of the format right now, I think along with some of these variants on Cloud Posts, that though I haven't faced many of them, I really strongly feel like they're going to become more of a presence once people... Uh, notice how effective they are. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great choice for a deck to focus on, and I don't really have any other ones to look at specifically. Like I said, I'm really interested to see how Mono Black Control would do in a format like this. Affinity is a deck that I've been looking at, and honestly, uh, Kyle, as far as Goblins is concerned, I'm just not sure, because Hexproof is one of those decks that I feel like Goblins has not a very good chance against. Unless maybe they start playing things like Martyr of Ashes uh, might be a good way to combat the Hexproof deck. But as far as racing, it it can be very difficult to race uh, an Armadillo Cloak when you're mono-red. 
I actually have a deck that I've been brewing up I could talk about, but I know you, Kyle, have also been uh, brewing something. Did you want to keep that under wraps at this point, or would you be willing to talk about it a little bit? It, it ended up being terrible. It's not worth mentioning. <laughs> okay. Do you want to at least talk? Why, why don't you at least talk about what it, what you were working on and why you approached it that way, and why it didn't work? And that would be a good uh, kind of like learning experience for the listeners. Pre- previously, before for the banning, I had been working on pretty much a a char belcher deck in popper. But instead of Belcher, you just had four Empty the Warrens and then three Demir Hedgeguards to transmute for them. And the deck was actually quite good. I was saving it for a premiere event. Uh, obviously, now that Empty the Warrens is banned, I I won't have that chance. But a sideboard card that would get brought in some matchups was Ulamog's Crusher because it, it wasn't too hard to hit eight mana with the deck and you could just turn one and Ulamog's Crusher against decks that were signing out the removal versus you. And so the deck that I... I was seeing if it was viable, was the the Belcher shell with Ulmonk's Crushers, Faithless Lootings, and Exhumes, so that you could either just exhume into Ulmonk's Crusher turn one or hardcast at turn one. The big problem is, though, is that previously you, you essentially had seven win conditions in your main deck, whereas now all you have is four Ulmonk's Crushers, and it's, it's just not re- reliable enough to be able to dig to one of your four uh, win conditions. Uh, fast stuff. So when, when when you have one in your opening hand, the deck's very very good. When you don't have one in your opening hand, you have to get lucky and hope it's within you know your top four or five cards for that first turn. And it's really interesting that you are brewing combo because I think that's really the archetype right now that is the least defined in this format. It just it all it took was the banning of a few cards and right now combo is if you were to ask, you know, what is combo and popper, it's kinda of hard just to summarize it now because it the strongest combo representative deck is gone. And so I've actually been really exploring this as well. I have an article that by the time this is out will will be out on blackborder.com and it's all about the combo archetype in popper. And so I think one of the things I've actually been working on is uh, a new combo in Popper. It's not new in the sense that it, it was just printed or something like that, but it hasn't really breached into competitive play. And I think now, if it's ever going to, now would be the best opportunity. And so uh, actually the deck that I've been working on is built around the Midnight Guard Presence of Gond combo, which I think everyone had forgotten about at this point, because it had been such a worse version of an Empty the Warrens-type combo, where you're essentially trying to get these cards together and then use it to create an infinite army of guys. Now that Empty the Warrens is gone, I think that not only does this deck have a better shot, but a lot of the hate that would sort of coincide into hating this deck out is actually gone from the format as well. So it's something I've actually been messing with, and at least for the time being, I've had some success with it. I haven't lost a match, but that's due to a number of factors. Um, I think the biggest strength for a deck like this is that it is a two-card combo that can sort of win out of nowhere. You really just need to have that one turn where you resolve this, and uh, the downside, of course, is that Midnight Guard, which is a, a card from Dark Ascension, it's a 2-3 that costs two colorless and white. And whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you can untap him. 
he's a two three. That's the biggest weakness right there. Is that almost you know a, a large amount of the removal kills him. So you have to really gear your deck towards not only assembling this combo but protecting it with counter spells and uh, protection effects. And so that's really the balancing act. I think is is finding the shell that works the best to uh, facilitate that kind of a combo. But as of right now, I actually see some potential in this strategy. I put together a deck list in this article, and then I uh, played it for four rounds online. And so it's something I'm definitely interested in seeing where it goes, and I would love to see more people experiment, not just with that combo, but maybe with some other things. And we can see if we can spice up the format a little bit. Um, What do you guys think about combo in general right now? Do you think that's... I mean, there's two sides to it, right? I mean, if you can come into a daily event with a combo that people aren't expecting right now, it on paper could be a very good thing to do because so many people are worried about cloud posts and they're worried about Stompy and, and aggro and things like that. But on the other side, you know, the best combos by way of Storm, I think, are kind of out of here, with the again, with the exception of Temporal Fisher. So um, – do you guys think that combo is going to have a resurgence? Do you think it's going to take a while to happen? Or do you think that uh, people should go ahead and, and try and play combo uh, in the format right now? And we'll start with Kyle on that. I think that with with Storm being gone, and most people who are playing Storm, I mean, they just looked up a deck list online, built it, made their own few tweaks. I think that if there is a Storm deck out there that's going to come in as a, as a dark horse, it isn't one that has been around and lurking in the shadows because it wasn't better than, than the right, regular Storm. I think someone's going to really have to brew something up that that comes in at a different angle that people haven't seen. It. I mean, this pre- presence of Gaon definitely has potential, but I think that if you're going for, you know, the cast. 10 spells in a turn combo and, you know, lead in something big or something, uh, you know, some other two card combo, it's going to, it's going to take at least a little bit for someone to find the right combination. All right, Chris, did you have any thoughts on combo as a whole in Popper right now? I, I agree. I agree with Kyle. Um, as someone who tried to make the reanimator deck work in Popper as well myself, um, the the biggest problem is is frankly the card pool. We don't have a lot of stuff to where the the I guess obvious for lack of a better term types of combos are readily available to us. There's a lot of digging and a lot of time and effort that you have to put into it to just you know maybe thirty or forty matches down the road figure out it doesn't work and scrap it. Um, and so the other the other disadvantage that comes along with that is you're looking at combos that take maybe three or even four cards to to make an effective combo and at that point you you just kind of go why do you even bother it's so easily disrupted with that many more variables in it but whether or not i'm crazy about this thought i've always i've always kind of felt that in fact in some ways is more of a combo deck than an aggro deck just because of its take these two cards one of them being a glistener elf and the other one being any pump spell that you can think of and then rinse and repeat, and it's it, it always just struck me as more of a combo-type deck as opposed to a straight-up aggro-type deck. So when when I think about the metagame as a whole, my, my perspective is kind of skewed toward thinking that we still do have Infect as a combo deck in it. It's just going to take a lot of, you know, like, like Kyle said, it's going to take a lot of thinking, a lot of testing, and being able to be critical enough to say that, you know, I've, I built this deck, I spent this much time building it, this much time testing it, and it doesn't work, and being able to walk away from it and starting over. There's 
a, a, a corner of the field that we can now consider as being a certain type of combo deck where it's essentially Voltron in various iterations. And what I mean by that is it's building up a creature to be so big that it's going to kill you in pretty much one or two swings. And so Infect is obviously one of those. And Hexproof, which we have been talking about, is another one. And I wanted just to add one other deck to that to that category, and it's uh, the blue-red We Dragonauts deck that features Delver of Secrets, Kiln Fiend, and We Dragonauts. And it also does a similar thing, where it's playing a lot of instants and sorceries in this in this case to buff up these creatures and try and kill you in just one or two swings. And that is a sort of assembly of a combo as well. And I think that so far I've seen all three of these decks showing up in small numbers in the events. And I I honestly can't say which one I think is is the best one to be playing. But it's something to think about. And it does make these edicts and these prismatic strands and curfews, I think it makes them a lot better at least at this point in time in the field. So um, it'll be interesting to see what other combos besides that show up. I, for one, am not much of a combo player, but I, I do feel a little bit of concern for people that have spent a lot of time playing Storm in this format. And I guess it's just, uh, I guess they're going to have to get used to playing actual Magic games, which will be interesting <laughs> to, <laughs> to see uh, how that oh, goes. Oh, man, the bias comes out. Would you like to see Wizards continue to enforce uh, certain regulations in terms of uh, what cards are legal in this format? And if so, are there any cards that you guys think might be next uh, to be on the chopping block? And we'll start with Kyle in terms of uh, what you think about potentially Wizards you know, making more bans in the near future. I would be on the side of the fence that I, I would not – I wouldn't want to see that many, unless it was something very serious, I wouldn't want to see them banning cards. Simply because I think that one of the draws of poppers, you can play any common you have. No one's going to put restrictions on you. You know, Feel free to design whatever you want. Um, but when you know, with that design, there's plenty of good decks out there that, that it's kind of like a game of rock, paper, scissors. They currently... You can't just make a deck that's gonna, gonna crush everything. Uh, Storm might, might have been bordering on that. But I don't think that currently it's, there's anything out there that they, they really need to restrict. I don't think the power level format's too high. I, I'd like it to remain a format where play absolutely whatever you want and, you know, everyone else is gonna be doing the same and it's gonna be pretty even, even playing field. I am going to interrupt real quick. My dog is currently on fire, so I need to make my exit, I believe, from the from the podcast. Absolutely. Do what you got to do, man. All right. Well, th- thanks for having me, and uh, I will absolutely get to hear everything else that's, that's said uh, once once it comes out. I look forward to it. Take care. Bye. Right, take care. Um, I think I think Kyle's, Kyle's point about rocks, paper, scissors is actually really appropriate. That's kind of what you... That, that's a that's a metaphor that a lot of people use for a, a healthy metagame in, in in magic in any format. I think the concern is is that once you ban, like the way they did this banning, is you kind of set a precedent, and that is that you know they they banned a lot from the scissors uh, department. Now rock might become too powerful, so now you have to look at what do I take away from this deck 
But then, okay, that deck's fair now, but then it might make deck number three a little too powerful. So it's a really fine uh, tight wire act that, they, that they're going to have to walk with this. Um, but I, I accuse myself of this on my own show as well. I'm, I'm kind of the eternal optimist with these types of things. And I think that aside from gut reactions that people have to bannings, which is a perfectly normal human reaction to be, oh my gosh, they did that. Um, it's just something that you have to take with the understanding that they're not doing it to get you. They're doing it to try and make a format that's as healthy as physically possible uh, with the understanding that every time you do make a ban that neuters a deck, the whole metagame becomes into flux once you do that. As far as what I think might be on the chopping block next, um, just from pure speculation, sometimes I kind of wonder about maybe Cloud Post or Glimmer Post. I don't, I don't view it as an unfair deck. I don't view it as something I would personally like to see happen, but it's just something that I know gets bandied around a lot by people is that, oh, you know, Post needs to get something taken away from it as well. So it just kind of remains to be seen how active that's going to be. Yeah, I, think that's a great point and post in particular i think it has gotten better not just from the banning but even with recent printing of cards such as ghostly flicker and electricery it seems to have been a deck that while was already very good has continued to uh, increase in its power level and for that reason i think a lot of people have been rallying around the idea of banning something in the deck so i I really don't know what's going to happen but i think that's certainly going to be a deck that has a target on its back uh, by the community, by a percentage of the community, and perhaps by Wizards itself. We'll have to see. For the time being, it's kind of the Wild West again. We're going to just have to see how things pan out and what actually, how this format develops and what it turns into from here. I don't think it's as catastrophic as people might be thinking because you know, a lot of people, once they saw these bannings, they immediately thought that, oh, Cloud Post is going to take over the world and this is the end of times and stuff. I don't think it's necessarily that drastic, but I don't actually know how drastic it will be for any of these decks and, and how dominant any of them will be. Hopefully they will keep each other in check in sort of that rock, paper, scissors trinity but I really can't say for certain. We really just have to see how things pan out. Final thoughts, I'll get back to just what I said a little bit earlier. Um, I think it's great that Wizards looks at Popper, just in general. The fact that they're obviously interested in it, that um, they see that the player base is there, that it warrants a closer look as to, as far as far as how cards interact with each other, as far as how decks perform. And they want to make sure that everyone who is playing it feels like they're having a good time. Win or lose, you can still feel like you have a good time, I think is the big concern with them with that point. So it's just going to take time. There were people on MTGO, the second daily event after the bannings, that were complaining about Wizards ruining the format. It's like this is the second event after the the bannings. Uh, It's going to take some time to to really see what happens with that type of stuff. But really, I mean, it's it's not the end of the world, like you said. It's it's just a change to things, and change doesn't always have to be bad, but it is by its very nature different. And so we're just going to have to see where it pans out from there. Uh, I guess as far as as far as ways to reach me um, on MTGO, I'm Gray Cat Records. You can listen to my show. It's on MTG Cast as well. It's popular to the people. We're coming up on episode 100, so we're trying to plan some cool, fun stuff to do for that. 
And I know that uh, Jason and I are, are working on trying to get something planned out for the GP in Portland in May to, to maybe meet up and meet with some people and do stuff like that. So I'm always around. Um, if you see me online and you want to say hi, don't feel like you're bugging me because you're not. I'm just a guy who thinks it's really cool that people want to say hi to me. So Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I know it was a little more chaotic this time around than before. But I think you did a great job and you brought up a lot of really great points throughout. So hopefully we can have you back sometime. And, and once again, thanks for your time, man. Well, yeah, thanks so much for having me. And, you know, as always, the offer extends both ways. So anytime you feel like being on our show, just let us know. Oh, great. Yeah, that's great to hear. I definitely will take you up on that sometime. Anytime, man. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Yep, bye. Alright guys, so we are back with a second half of this episode 20 of Popper's Cage. We wanted to give you guys a little more content since this is the 20th episode. And we figured two guests is not enough, so we had to bring back from our last episode, Just Sin. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thank you very much for being here. I know you've... Uh, had quite a day, but I really appreciate you taking some time out to talk about this big, big change to the popper format here. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, how could I resist? I mean, when you get this kind of change going on. So that is going to be our continuing topic here. We're here talking about the bands in popper. And I got to say, for me personally, this is one of the biggest things to happen to the format in recent memory and perhaps in the entire history of popper. So one thing I wanted to ask you just starting off the bat is what was it like for you hearing about these bands? You know, where were you? What was your initial reaction when you heard that, you know, not only was, well, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I was just uh, uh, sitting on, you know, Twitter and doing work and I, I saw it and it was something that I, I kind of expected to come about eventually, but I'm not sure I expected it to the extent that they went. That's funny because I was actually on Twitter as well, and someone had sent me a tweet asking me what I thought of the bands, and that was very cryptic to me because I didn't know what that meant. So I had to go to the Wizards page, and since I was assuming something had been banned, for me it was also not a huge surprise because when I hear the words ban and I think about Popper, some of the cards that pop up initially are things like Grape Shot, things like Invigorate. So I also wasn't completely shocked, I should say, but I was a bit surprised that after all this time, after people discussing whether or not there should be bans and what should be banned, because everybody has an opinion on this, let's be honest, uh, that Wizards actually showed up and banned three cards, which is quite a big deal. That's more cards than they've ever banned in this format. And the ones that they chose, it, it just raised a whole lot of questions. And one of the big things is they didn't really provide a lot of answers as to why they did this. They, they talked a lot about Modern because they banned Bloodbraid Elf and Seething Song in Modern. And they, they wrote this long explanation on that. But as far as Popper, they kind of just left it up to us to, I guess, debate and discuss. So that's partly why we're here today. 
Yeah, there was definitely no response for Popper. It took, I think, a lot of pleading from the community to get maybe a couple of sentences. There was a link at one point someone had thrown up. I think it might have been Alex. Um, and it was, I, I guess, Morrow's blog or something like that. He made kind of a brief discussion of it, and even that was completely vague and, and not really telling us anything about why they made the decision. It basically said that, well, the community uh, feedback was that this was ruining the format. And that was it. Yeah, I remember reading that, and I agree with you. It was totally vague. So this really leaves us with the question of why the bans happen, because, like you said, very little explanation and very vague. So I'm going to go ahead and just give my two cents, and I mentioned this a little earlier. And I think that what Wizards is doing, at least, is, first of all, they're they're acknowledging the fact that Popper has become extremely popular on MTGO. So they want to at least be paying some attention to the format. And they realize that, you know, this popularity does benefit them in some capacity. And they probably would like to keep it that way, I have to assume. To me, the when it really get, comes down to it is I feel these bans mirror the types of bannings that they're doing in modern in the sense that after the first Pro Tour that featured the modern format. Wizards ex- expressed a uh, great dissatisfaction with the fact that modern was killing people off on turn two and turn three. And they wanted to move that format away from such a fast, non-interactive experience that is not conducive to having fun or you know having a pleasurable experience playing a game. And I think that, at least in some capacity, uh, reflects what these popper bannings have been made for. And I think it's to slow down the format a bit, to make the games a little bit more interactive, and to shy away from these bad experiences of people just dying before they get to play any of their cards, really. And that's that's the main thing that I can gather from, just based on the cards they actually banned, and uh, using Modern as sort of a template for how they're trying to steer some of their constructed formats. So what do you think about uh, why they did what they did here? Oh man, there's there's so many different angles to come at this whole situation. It's really kind of crazy. Um, I mean, I I understand it's it's one of these things. I had way back when I a couple bannings ago, I believe. Um, we we went through this whole series where they would ban things and there would be a new list, and it never pertained to Popper. I mean, you mentioned earlier there was only two cards on the banned and restricted list for Popper for the longest time up until I guess this point. And so, you know, it had always been kind of in my mind that, you know, like you said, the more popular formats, the big moneymakers for them are going to be standard and they're going to be modern. So they didn't really care about Pauper as much. Um, I guess the increase in popularity part of it was uh, the FOW run. Um, So all of a sudden, you know, that really kind of made it, you know, they jumped up to 120 at the the maximum um, for a daily event. And it's like all of a sudden it matters to them and they wanted to change it. And I can, I can see where that comes in, but I, you know, part of me wants to just say, well, you know, maybe if you really wanted to make this change and if you thought this is the way it should be, it should have been done earlier. It shouldn't just be a, a retroactive, okay, well now people care about this format. So maybe we should do something. Um, that, that was kind of my, my initial reactions, I guess. Um, I, I can agree to a point, the, the turn two and three wins, you know, being on the other side of an infect game where they do get the nut hand and just beat you outright on turn three and there's absolutely nothing you can do. It's it's not fun at all. I, I can agree to that. But at the same time, I, I really felt that it was 
pretty well balanced as far as the meta was concerned, and that was the reason why they hadn't done anything about it. Um, I had talked about in, in an article back when I was you know writing for Pure the whole banned list, and I had kind of said as far as Infect was concerned that I didn't think they would actually approach bannings for that until a point in time where the popularity increased. Um, so that was definitely true, but you know still I I kind of meant more specifically the popularity of the deck and even though it was broken and you could do those turn two and three wins it was not something that was played by a lot of people it was not actually showing as much as other decks um so that was a little bit surprising to me i guess yeah and i think a lot of people actually share your sentiments there in fact we've heard so many different opinions on this at least i have over twitter and message boards and talking to people online on mtgo a lot of people are upset. Some people are very happy. I am not upset. I definitely can't say that I'm upset. I have to agree with you that I don't think that the bans were 100% necessary in terms of uh, the format being, I guess, particularly unhealthy or anything like that. But in terms of how I feel about the bans, I'm not really too opposed to them. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier with the other guests about Invigorate in particular, just really not having any downside whatsoever for this Infect deck, and essentially being a free uber pump spell that overwhelms the power level of any similar card in the format. While Infect, you know, I can see the other side of it, as you would probably argue, Infect was not really a huge uh, percentage of the metagame. It was not an oppressive deck. It did not knock other strategies completely out of the format. So I can really see both sides of it, but I'm definitely not mourning the loss of Invigorate. And I have to admit the Storm cards as well, Empty the Warrens and Grapeshot. I know a lot of people are not necessarily upset, but they don't see the reason for Empty the Warrens to be gone. Whereas Grapeshot, it had a little bit less opportunity for opponents to interact with it. I think the Storm mechanic in general, just by its nature, it's uh, sort of a pseudo-uncounterability, I guess we could say, because of all the copies they created. And so... You know, there's arguments on both sides of it, but I guess what is probably most interesting to the the listeners here is how do you feel about the bands in terms of uh, do you agree with them in any capacity? I know you obviously feel like the the environment was not necessarily um, needing a ban, but do you um, do you see at least uh, maybe some benefits to them, or do you think it was a mistake? Well, I definitely uh, have to disagree with you to a point because I come down on the side of not being a fan of these. Um, I can I can go with the the invigorate ban, the the change to infect because I see a, a clear distinction between that and what happened with the storm decks. If you look at you know the infect deck itself, and if you take out that one card, that deck can still exist. It's no longer as powerful, but they've reeled in the power just a little bit. Um, enough to, to really slow it down, you know, and keep it even, but the deck can still exist. With the banning of Empty of the Warrens and Grapeshot, they've completely destroyed that deck. There is no longer going to be those Storm decks. I mean, we'll still have Temporal Fissure Storm, obviously, but they have completely killed those decks. Um, I talked earlier about that article I wrote a while ago on Pure, and I had said in that, I don't think that banning Empty the Warrens is necessary. I'm on the side where it says, if you want to ban something there, you can ban Grapeshot. Because of all the answers we had to that, they were in white. I mean, the best answers to that were the Unicorn and Prismatic Strands. Now, Empty the Warrens, there were plenty of answers to that. 
there were answers as far as, you know, like trickery, echoing the uh, truth, echoing decay. Um, there were plenty of things, rats, all those kind of things. So, you know, you could have left Empty the Warrens in there and the deck would not be anywhere near as impressive, oppressive as it was, but still, you know, keep that kind of combo aspect in the format. You know, um, if I can throw a stat out there, you know, looking at the metagames, I've been putting the numbers together and together Storm plus Infect accounted for just a little over 25% of the metagame. So they have almost completely eliminated that entire thing. And that's going to leave it an incredible void. And, and you know, I'm not going to really go into what's going to fill it because, you know, we just don't know just yet. But I think that, you know, by getting rid of Grape Shot and Empty the Warrens, they completely killed it. And what really gets me is the fact that they have left Temporal Fissure Storm. And the combo in this format, you know, you talk about magic and it's always that rock, paper, scissors thing. You have aggro decks, control, and combo, and, you know, various gray spots in between. But when you get rid of Storm and Infect to the degree that they have, you've really kind of neutered the ability for people to play combo in this format. If you want to play combo in this format, your two choices are We Fiend, um, which is the blue and red, you know, deck that runs Kiln Fiend and We Dragonauts and a whole bunch of little spells to pump them up and swing big. And your other option is going to be Fissure Storm and any of the different variants. And I think one of the things that really kind of I, I laugh at, I guess, in them letting Fissure Storm exist the way it is, is that one of the biggest bannings they ever made was um, the Frantic Research. And that was made because of how oppressive Fissure Storm was. And now what they've done by getting rid of the other type of storm is basically open it up and say, okay, we're feeling free to, to bring back, you know, Fissure Storm and let that be as oppressive as it was beforehand. Anyone who used to play Storm um, can now switch over to Fissure Storm, and that's so much worse than a turn two win, in my opinion. You know, to play a game where you get to a mid to late game and then they storm off Fissure, completely wipe out all of your permanents or turn them to your hand, and you're starting from turn one. You know, and that's, to me, just so much less interactive. Um, I also think when you look at the bannings for Modern, and now someone can feel free to correct me on this because I don't really play Modern, but they banned, um, oh, I can't remember the card, what is the Seething Song? Yeah, Seething Song. Yeah, so why, you know, that was their answer to holding back Storm and Modern. So why couldn't they have just made the same change when it came to Storm and Pauper? You know, get rid of something like that. You know, and and still leave Storm there, but really slow it down by crippling its mana base. You know, I think that could have worked. Um, there's other, you know, big uh, mana cards that it looks to. Right of Flame, for example, would be a, a good thing to, to slow down the mana for Storm. And you would have still kept the deck there, but not really crippled it to the point it is. Um, I, like I said, when I looked at Bannings, I think the biggest thing for me personally would be, is this, you know, hard to counter? And like I said, grape shot, hard to counter. Infect really wasn't. You could just run, you know, obviously if you're facing a lot of infect, you know it's going to be out there. Run a deck that runs creature control in a heavy, you know, format. That's why I always have been a fan of the um, blue-black post version over an is-it post version is because I feel it has more creature control. And they've really just, I don't like the way that the new metagame is going to shape out now. I really think that all of a sudden you have all the post lands are going to start playing way more. Fissure Storm is going to be played way more. Hexproof, all of that stuff. And it's just, it's kind of boring to me. I'm really glad that you're, you're bringing this perspective because this is definitely a change from 
the other two guests here, and you bring up a really great point uh, when we are comparing this to the modern bannings that have happened. First of all, there's been a ton of modern bannings, but as you mentioned, none of them have really completely destroyed a deck. So, for instance, they ban Wild Nakatl or Green Sun Zenith to make Zoo worse, but you can still play some variation of Zoo. And same thing with Jund. They take out Bloodbraid Elf, but there's still a lot of great cards in those colors that remain. And Seething Song, obviously, uh, is the same way, whereas with Popper now, you're absolutely correct. There's no iteration of a Grape Shot or Empty the Warrens deck because... That whole win condition, the entire goal of that deck has been removed, um, and that's something that we didn't bring up earlier. So yeah, it's they completely killed that deck, and it's to me just amazing that they would take an entire deck and ruin it. I mean, you look at the two previous bannings of Frantic Research and the um, the Cranial Plating, and those didn't kill Affinity or Fissure Storm. Those two decks still exist, but at this, you know, what they did in banning those cards is real in the power. And I think that was where they should have gone with this. You know, that's where they went with Infect, and I feel that's how they should have gone with Storm. Yeah, I never really looked at it that way, but it makes a lot of sense now that you bring it up. I think a, a really good place to go from here will be to be talking about some of the metagame implications. You've touched on a few of them, but I would definitely like to go in a little bit deeper here. And we, we'll just kind of talk about what kind of decks are going to benefit from these bands and which ones are going to suffer. Well, we obviously know that the uh, the two dominant Storm decks are not only going to suffer, but they've suffered so much that they've died from these bands. But, uh, they've completely suffered. <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the other decks and how they'll be affected. You've obviously mentioned Cloudpost here, and I think that is one of the decks that is on a lot of people's radar in terms of something that is going to benefit from these bands because Storm and Infect, at least to my knowledge of the format, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, were two of the decks that actually kept uh, Post in check to some degree because Post is a bit of a slower deck. It has to develop its mana and its game plan over several turns, whereas Storm and Infect can capitalize on that by attacking Post early on. And now that two of its big, I guess, uh, opponents, its big antagonists, are gone from the format, there's that much more reason to play Cloud Post. And I'm not sure how much you've looked at the very recent daily events, because I know you're really busy right now, but there definitely is a large representation of Cloud Post cashing in these dailies right now. Um, in terms of Post in general, did you want to just have any thoughts on, on where it stands? Yeah, sure. Um yeah, I have actually, I have, of course, been really busy, but I can't help but keep track of the, the pauper metagame as disheartening as it is. I think it's it's a significant change, and like you said, you hit it on the head, I think, when Infect and Storm could get those early wins, what they really did is dominate the post decks, because the post wants to get to mid to late game. Their entire strategy is built around mid to late game. You look at Is It Post specifically... And they use the Glimmer Post to gain life. They draw a whole bunch of cards, uh, a little bit of creature control, and they're looking to get to that midpoint where they can find one of their two win conditions, whether it's a single Crusher in the deck or something like Caravex Torch or Rolling Thunder. So, you know, I think that those decks being gone, all of a sudden Post now has this incredible opening to make the, the better plays. Some of the 
the aggro decks that we do have in the format, things like Mono White Aggro and Stompy, are good. Um, also, Hexproof, I guess, is uh, another aggro deck that we now have and, and may increase in numbers. They're good, but they're not necessarily fast enough if you don't get a good draw to really keep post in check, in my opinion. Um, especially if you look at the, the new version now that combines post and Fissure Storm. I mean, that's a double-edged sword right there because they can, you know, do both, you know, things. I think those two decks are really going to be the biggest beneficiaries from these bannings. Uh, I think another interesting thing that you see with these bannings is what it's done to sideboards. Because if you considered your sideboard going into any format, you had to leave at least maybe two spots for, you know, something to combat Storm. And so now that Storm's gone, you're... Your sideboard is basically, you know, two things, you know, creature control and land destruction. I mean, that's really all you need anymore because those are the two things that are going to be left. There's not necessarily anything you can do against um, the Fissure Storm, but even land destruction will give you a bit of an edge depending on the version. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden, even sideboarding has become incredibly dumbed down. Uh, I think that Delver is going to kind of fall off a little bit because I think that actually had some advantages when it came to things like Storm. I'm sure some people will disagree with me on that, but I always felt that Delver had an edge in that matchup. I think Stompy could increase that, I believe, is the best of the uh, aggro decks that we have. Um, I think there should be more room for Hexproof to kind of show itself up now because one of the things that had troubles with was faster decks that could get through, like the Infect and Storm decks. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, but I was looking at the Pauper um, daily events, and there was one from just the other day, I think it was the 8th, um, and it was a green and red deck, and the main deck is running four copies of Stone Rain, four copies of Thermokarst, and three copies of uh, Acid Moss. And, you know, that right there just speaks volumes about what things are. I mean, this deck is completely, you know, we talked about rogues in the, the last episode, and this is a complete rogue that I could see taking off because of the fact that it's running a main deck with almost 12 land destructions. I mean, that's that's insane. And then all he has to do, his sideboard is basically um, cards to destroy artifacts because he's got it all covered. I mean, he's got the land destruction in the main deck, and if he faces Affinity, which is the only other thing out there, you know, he can just throw all the sideboard um, land, or artifact destruction right in there. So I think, you know, something like this could take off. There was even an elf deck. We talked about elves as well. Um, and there was an elf deck that ran main deck, you know, Acid Moss and Thermokarst. Uh, you can look at something like Green Post might even come back because of the fact that it had Reap and Sow in the main deck along with Acid Mosses and stuff like that. So I think all of a sudden, post taking off, we're going to see kind of an increase in land destruction that's being played. And it's just, I, I don't know, it feels boring to me. It's It doesn't seem like a challenge. It, it seems like the format has kind of been dumbed down, in my opinion. I guess we can move on to our next point, which is just we'll quickly talk about the future of combo, because you've already kind of expressed your feelings that combo is going to be very a very small part of the metagame and sort of relegated to just two or three decks, perhaps. Um, are, are you anticipating Temporal Fisher to really take over the combo archetype in the, uh, the near future here? Oh, absolutely. Like I said, the... I guess if you want to break combo down to three decks, you now have Fissure Storm, and that has several different variants. Um, you have the Wee Fiend deck, as I call it, um, and then you have, like you said, Midnight Presence, if that all of a sudden becomes a, a solid deck. And I think 
the two things that really suffer in We Fiend and um, the Midnight Presence deck are the fact that they're creature-based. And we're currently entering into a new meta where the two big things we're going to look for are going to be post-decks, which need land destruction, and aggro decks. So, you know, with less sideboard options needing to, to focus on Storm, you have half your sideboard devoted to land destruction, the other half to creature control, which all of a sudden makes the Wee Fiend and the Midnight Presence decks not not necessarily bad, but weaker because of the fact that there might actually be a lot of people anticipating killing creatures anyways. And I've always kind of spoken against the Wee Fiend deck. I'm not a fan of it at all because it's so easy to counter. If you're running, you know, even just a few kill spells, you can simply hold on to those and you know what you have to target. You simply have to target the Wee Dragonauts and the Kiln Fiends. And once you get those guys either dead or keeping them off the field in any manner, then you basically shut down that combo. I think for any other kind of combo to come out, we need to see something new printed because I I really do believe that Fissure is going to just dominate things. Um, And I don't know if that's what they really wanted um, or if they really thought about it, but I feel like Fissure is the most oppressive thing that we can face. You know, even the turn two wins aside, you know, and when you look at things like even the, the post decks, that are running blue, one of the biggest problems I have with that deck is capsize and the fact that they can continuously reuse that. And the fact that, you know, Fissure does the same thing where they can bounce all of your permanents and start the game over for you. And no one wants to play against that. I definitely don't want to play against that. And uh, Fissure is something that I've been trying to downplay, at least in a lot of my discussions, because I don't want to encourage people to play that deck because I don't want to face it. Um, and you, you mentioned earlier that, that there have been Cloud Post decks playing Fissure. It appears to be a, a couple versions. There's like a mono blue one. There's a blue green one. And then there's also more dedicated, just straight up Fisher decks that don't play post, such as the Simic and uh, the traditional Esper. So it will be something I think that is going to demand a lot of respect. And there's not, a, as you said already, there's not a lot of interaction that you can really have. The only card that directly interacts with Temporal Fisher is Hindering Touch, and that is a very narrow answer. First of all, you have to be in blue. Second of all, it is cost four mana, <laughs> so uh, it's yeah, it's it's clunky as hell. Yeah. It really is. So it's it's a very uh, interesting and up in the air sort of time because it's going to be hard to predict what the format is eventually going to like evolve into or maybe even degenerate into. <laughs> uh, yeah. Based on on your comments here, so why don't we go ahead and transition into a little bit of foresight or forethought, I guess more speculation towards the future. We do also have a new set that has just come out on MTGO. We're right in the midst of the pre-releases and stuff. And um, I don't know that I've heard much from you in terms of uh, gate crash and affecting Popper. Why don't we just go ahead and start, uh, regardless of bans, just gate crash as a whole how do you feel it's going to affect Popper? Are there any cards you're looking at? And um, just spend some time talking on that. Yeah, uh, the, the reason you haven't really heard much from me on that is I always try to avoid the whole speculation thing. Whenever there's a new set, no matter what format you're writing about, everyone likes to sit there and speculate on cards. And to me, 
you know, there's plenty of other people who are going to probably do a much better job than I am at speculating and coming up with ideas. So I, I let others feel free to handle that. Um, but I do feel there's, as always, potential for this set to really have a good impact. You know, it's one of these things where, you know, I, I always say the second set is usually the weakest in a block. And I think this one actually has a lot of potential. You know, first, just the fact that we're getting the other half of our gates. You know, I, I hope to God these these gate cards now bring about some kind of mid-range and that something comes out of this because there's a lot of potential with those and what they now give us the ability to, to play. Um, I, I've always stated that I think you still have to be in green. Uh, you get the gate creeper vines will help you tutor those out. We also now just got the um, green side watcher. And for those who are not familiar, it's a 2-1 creature that you can tap to untap target gate. So I think, you know, between the watcher and the uh, gate creeper vines, maybe all of a sudden we're getting some more potential. Uh, maybe then again, this is just another opening for Fisher to, to create some Simic version. Um, but I think there's some potential there. Uh, I talked a little bit about how I think Blood Rush could kind of keep Infect alive. Like I said, I think the biggest drawback there is the fact that Blood Rush uh, has to be kind of played um, on an attacking creature, so you can't use it as a defensive manner. But you do get the Slaughterhorn, um, which is uh, Blood Rush for just a single green. So that really fits kind of within the curve for Infect, and that gives the uh, attacking creature plus three, plus two. Um, so I think that that's a significant size boost for one green. I think that could fall in there um, very well. So I, I that kind of will that around. We also I, I've been kind of fascinated with what they've done to kind of really stretch hexproof because I talked about hexproof in an article recently and why it's not played more. And a couple of things are starting to stand out to me. One of them is I think the bans really open up things for Hexproof even more. All of a sudden, those decks that are actually faster than Hexproof are now gone. So that kind of works its way up towards the top as far as the fastest decks in the format goes. Now, the other thing that comes out of that is the printing of the armor, which you know threw it on its head because you had previously had Ancestral Mask, which made creatures bigger for every other enchantment on the field. And so that, along with the armor, which makes it, you know, that can count itself. So these two cards make creatures bigger based on the number of enchantments on the field. And what really kind of changed things is the fact that that armor comes in at that single white cost. We're looking at a green-white hexproof deck that has now gotten um, forced adaptation, which allows you to enchant creatures for a single green, and every upkeep, they get a plus one, plus one counter. So now anything you had in your sideboard to maybe just clear off enchantments because you can't target down creatures is going to start getting a little worse because the adaptation, while it's a little bit slow, it's making counters instead of making creatures bigger off of the enchantment itself. So if you get that, the size is going to stay on the field. And I don't necessarily think that'll show up as a full set, but I can see maybe two to three copies working that to a hexproof deck because the the curve is so low and that works so great that small spot i mean if you get that turn one boggle into turn two adaptation sure the boggle's not getting bigger right away but if you find yourselves in any kind of mid to late game you know all of a sudden it becomes a great thing maybe even a sideboard option because in the mirror match that basically comes down to who can get a flag bearer into play first 
And if you, you know, get that down and get that adaptation and start building counters, maybe it can give you an edge. So I would like to see where that goes. And I think it's really interesting that they've kind of built up this whole thing in Pauper. I don't even know if they're aware of it, where they've got these really, really cheap enchantments that can actually have a lot of potential to be just nuts. Um, I think you also have uh, Cloudfin Raptor. And that's one I think you talked about in one of your articles um, about this. And that has some potential in Delver. I, I would love to see what happens to that. And there's a couple other Simic cards that we saw with Evolve. And I would love to see what, if anything, can come out of that. Uh, you know, I, I guess maybe some of these would just end up being casual things as opposed to hardcore competitive. But I still would love to see something come out of that. And I guess the only other thing is uh, Devour Flesh which I guess maybe they're kind of counterbalanced to where Hexproof is going. Um, that's basically giving us yet another Edict effect. Uh, your opponent will gain life equal to the creature's toughness when they sacrifice, but having Devour Flesh plus Diabolic Edict all of a sudden gives you um, an additional slot of you know Edict spells to kill these Hexproof creatures, um, which might help you out in the long run. So I think there's uh, some potential for these cards to, to come in, you know, as everyone speculates, there, there's always, you know, maybe 90% of the speculated cards don't show up. Um, but I think, you know, these things have potential, and we may not actually see impact from cards like these until a month or so into this new format that they've created, um, when the, the bands have really kind of settled in, people have had some time to play around with whatever rogues or homebrews they thought might work out, and see what the format and what the meta is actually going to become, because... You know, it's all speculation at this point. We're only maybe, what, a week into the bannings. So there's still plenty of time for things to settle out and really create a new meta. You brought up a, a lot of really great ideas and points there. And I just, one thing I, I wanted just to ta- add on to that, tack on to what you said about the uh, the Blood Rush creatures, is that effect, that ability is completely uncounterable, right? It's not like you're casting a spell. You're actually discarding the uh, the creature and activating the ability. So you get a bit of an uncounterable pump spell there, which isn't irrelevant. Yeah, it's it's like cycling in that, that same manner. You can, you know, just, you pay it and you're discarding, and there's nothing they can do outside of killing that creature. Yeah, if I if I had to put my money somewhere, honestly, I, I would say that things like um, Demir Post and Teachings, I feel like, you know, deep down inside, I got this, this feeling, this hunch, that those two decks are what should come out of this as strong contenders because they've got plenty of answers to creatures you know in the main deck and they also have enough control to kind of keep the other post things under wraps so you know to me i feel like that's where things should go delver is going to kind of decrease and what may take its place as the head control is going to be something in blue and black where you have counter control as long as well as creature kill uh, I had actually been talking to someone online about whether or not Grave Hate might need to become something that, that is part of this format now, uh, because there are some flashback stuff in the post decks, uh, and it might be something that has to be addressed at this point. I'm glad you brought that up, because I forgot to mention that I think it might be a good time to play something like Cremate in the blue-black post deck with teachings. It's a it's just an instant, costs black, and it removes target card from a graveyard from the game and draws you a card. And the reason I, I bring up this card is because not only can it hit whatever your opponent's trying to uh, bring back with Mnemonic Wall, 
it can hit teachings, like you said, but um, even across the board, if you look at Stompy, you can take out a Rancor and draw a card. You can take out a Young Wolf that's uh, sitting on the Undying trigger on the stack. You can take that out. You know, Loyal Cathars, anything that can come back from the graveyard that relies on you know some type of trigger, you can get rid of. So it might be interesting for a card like that. I don't know if that's the best uh, card that does that effect, but something like that. I think might actually be a uh, time to play and maybe it'll actually do something. Yeah. Maybe uh, the, I'm going to maybe say this wrong, but the fairy macabre, um, the two, two flyer for one and two blacks that discard and exile two cards um, from a graveyard, you know, something like that. I, I have seen it played in like legacy formats and stuff. That is uh, an option for grave hate and that does fall into power. So, all right. So, this pretty much wraps up all the set discussion I had set out for this episode. So from here, uh, if you've got some time, I'm definitely willing to open it up to anything at all you'd like to talk about. It doesn't have to be related to the bands. If you want to talk about Gate Crash, you want to talk about the pre-release events, anything popper related, anything magic related, or if you want to do any shameless self-promotion, now would be the time to do that. Oh, I'm always a person, shameless self-promotion. So um, as far as things are concerned, for those who are regular readers of mine, my series did get pushed back a week. It is still going to be every other Thursday, um, but it did get pushed back. They might have noticed a break in there. Uh, the next one you'll see from me, and again, and this will probably be up by the time that you guys are listening to this, uh, is going to be kind of a month in review. Um and it's going to take a look at basically all of the information from the past metagame um, analysis that I've done in the competitive corner part of my article. And this is something that's kind of interesting because it's basically going to kind of be maybe a final farewell, if you want to put it that way, to the the format as it was with Infect and Storm because those are going to be reflected in there. Um, and one of the things that I, I'm going to take a look at as well in a brief manner is what the the matchups are because in competitive corner if you're a regular follower i do something called the spotlight and that's where i sit down and i copy all the information out of a a specific daily event as far as what decks played what and what the final results were as far as wins and losses for those deck types and so i'm going to compile all the data from the past four that i've done and maybe you know focus out okay here's the decks that have beaten is it post a lot and here's what's beaten, you know, Demir post a lot, because I think those are two things that are going to show up more. Um, so, you know, like I said, this will be out probably by the time you guys are hearing this, um, but it's going to kind of be a, a new, I guess, beginning. It's going to be a final farewell as we uh, have to kind of start over and see where things go from here. It'll be interesting because I, I have to admit, like, I'm personally a, a little disheartened. Uh, kind of my, my love for Popper has is, is decreased a bit by what they've done to it. And that might sound a bit harsh to some people, but I feel like they've really crippled things as far as we talked, you know, I said earlier, the whole rock, paper, scissors aspect. And I really feel that they've completely crippled combo. And whether or not you're a fan of what they did, I feel like, the format really needs all three legs. I really hope that I'm, you know, just kind of sitting here doing the, the whole the sky is falling thing. You know, Magic players, we're, we're very uh, used to that, and every time there's some change, you know, it's the worst thing ever to happen to the game. And I'm hoping that maybe in a month or so when the metagame balances out that uh, my, my fears are unjustified. 
Uh, I'm pretty optimistic, and I think knowing how much you actually have, you know, enjoyed the format and how much you've put into being a fan of it and, and supporting it, I have I've, I have high hopes that you'll be able to uh, to see some silver lining here and that the format will kind of shape up in a little bit. I'll have my fingers crossed. <laughs> okay, so before we kind of get out of here, I wanted to at least bring up one more thing since we're kind of just having an open discussion at this point because you were talking about mid-range being viable in the format and whether or not there's a possibility for mid-range to show up. And I'm starting to think that there is because one of the things that mid-range would struggle with, I at least have to assume, is the fact that there are decks that are going to be coming in a lot faster and closing games out a lot quicker than a mid-range deck actually can. And so now that Storm is is not a... a a factor in the metagame, at least the, the lightning fast storm decks, and Infect is slowed down. I think it could be possible for a mid-range deck or two or however many to to show up here. And you know, being green based, I think is definitely a place to start. As you mentioned, the one thing I do think that a mid-range deck will need to have is either some sort of hand disruption or some sort of land destruction, as you were kind of talking about with that green-red deck, um, just as a way to try and combat the controlling cloud post strategies. And even Temporal Fisher, if you can discard some of their key pieces, maybe you can you can stay in there long enough to beat them. Uh, I don't have a specific list or ideas, but... Even just looking at that green-red deck we've been talking about or looking at things that I've worked on in the past, uh, you know, variations of green-black or green-red, I think those would be good places to start. And maybe there will be some some sort of new deck that shows up. And I think that would be pretty cool, actually. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The worst matchup for any mid-range deck is combo. So basically, I, I guess what you could say is by them... I'm going to just say killing combo. Um, it may have opened up a new opportunity for mid-range to come in. I think that is going to wrap it up for today's episode here. Uh, got a lot of things to think about looking forward into the popper format. I definitely would encourage people to continue to play it, though. Uh, I, I'm not on the side of thinking that it's going to be all doom and gloom. I think there there is a lot of opportunity for maybe even new decks to show up, and, and I still encourage people to play and, and see if you can enjoy the format uh, and to try out new things. Now is definitely the time to do it. I'm just going to go ahead and go right into shout-outs here. I definitely want to thank all the guests today, Special Kyle, Chris Plummer, and, of course, Justin for spending time and, and giving some great information and, and some great opinions here. Uh, and thanks to all you guys just on another level Special Kyle for, you know, just uh, chatting and being a, a good pal online. Chris, uh, thank you for checking out some of my writing. I've been doing some writing projects, and you've been helping me out with that. And Justin, just um, always being very enthusiastic to help out and being great communicating with me over email and Twitter. I really appreciate all of that. As far as other shout-outs, this is the 20th episode of Popper's Cage. I'm just really happy that we made it this far. Got a shout-out um, – the two hosts that, that we've had over these episodes, Gabo Cheeto and Luva from way over in Europe. And I really appreciate everything you guys brought to the show. And hopefully we'll have you guys back soon, 
either just as guest appearance or full time, you know, always welcome for that. Thanks to everyone for listening. And I'll go ahead and turn over to Justin to do some shout outs and then we will get out of here. All right. Well, uh, I would like to, to shout out to myself for being here and being so great. Um, I, I really enjoyed it, man. I really appreciate you having me back. It's always a lot of fun. I, I feel like talking pauper, we could sit here for hours and, and just bullshit about it. But uh, definitely thanks uh, for having me on. Um, and, you know, you guys are doing a great job. 20 episodes. Hopefully uh, there's easily 20 more in you. I do want to at least give some information on how to contact myself how to contact the show and then you can definitely let people know how to contact you as well so you can find me on twitter at dime collector sc also on youtube.com slash dime collector sc if you want to contact the podcast you can email us at popperscage at gmail.com you can also find the blog popperscage.blogspot.ca and at popperscage on twitter lastly you can check out my articles and videos on mtgoacademy.com, the series Dime a Dozen, and blackborder.com, the series Common Ground, and I'm on MTGO, Bamboo Rush. You can join the clan Popper Gnomes and have a great time there as well. So, Justin, we'll just uh, let everybody know how to contact you, and then we can sign out. Yeah, and for me, uh, it's basically MTGO just sin across the board. Uh, best place to find me is going to be, of course, Twitter. Uh, for interactions. It's great for news and updates on what I'm doing. Uh, that is going to be, um, again, MTGO Justin. Uh, YouTube, it's going to be youtube.com slash MTGO Justin. The channel's a little barren right now. I've been a little bit backed up because I, I do, I work a full-time job uh, where I travel all the time and I'm going to school for, you know, graduate work. So, Honestly, the, the channel is a bit barren right now, but I am hoping to get some free time in a couple of weeks to, to get that back and going. Uh, you could also email me, mtgojustsin at yahoo.com. Um, if you want to do, I do fan fixes uh, where you can send me a deck and I will not necessarily guarantee a deck doctor kind of thing, but I will look it over and give you an opinion. I've had a couple of people contact me in game asking about it, so I, I do leave that open to people if they want. Um, I'm always in game. Uh, Just Sin is my name there. You can find me uh, at any point where I'm actually online. Uh, just, again, if I don't respond right away, don't feel like I'm trying to shut you out or anything like that. Uh, also, MTGO Academy, like I said, it's it's been altered a week, but it is still every other Thursday. And my article series there is uh, Anything But... And that is where I cover, you know, pauper. It's either casual or competitive, depending on my mood for the week. And there will always be the competitive corner, um, no matter what we're doing, competitive or casual. And there you can see what the metagame has been like for the past two weeks, including spotlights of a daily event and maybe a uh, commentary on a match. That's awesome. And I can't wait to see your report on the post-banning metagame as well. So everybody, please check that out, because that's going to be really important. And uh, from here, I guess we can just say goodnight to everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening, and take care. We'll see you for the next episode of Popper's Cage. See you later.